Well, folks, this morning we're going to continue in our study in this series called The Word as we talk about why God's Word is so important to all of mankind. Bible literacy in our country, in our churches, is an increasing problem. In the times that we live in, Dr. Al Mohler explains the crisis in one of his blog posts. Now, I just want to share that with you uh, this morning. He wrote this. He said, researchers George Gallup and Jim Castelli put the problem squarely. Americans, and when I say the word Americans in this, uh, these are Americans who claim to be Christians, okay? So we're talking about a Christian community, but Americans... uh, revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become, we have become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is it? Well, research tells us that it's worse than most could imagine. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans, these are Christians who claim to be Americans, 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder people break the commandments all the time. They don't know what they are, said George Barna. He's president of the firm. He said, the bottom line is this, increasingly America is biblically illiterate. So it's no wonder that the purity of our country, the purity of our churches globally is declining where the Bible is not consulted. And the Bible's not consulted very much, even in our churches anymore, uh, probably less in our homes than it was at one time. We have become a people who no longer thirst for the Word of God, but instead we seek to come to church to be entertained not educated, and certainly not encouraged to transform to a biblical worldview. That's what upsets the apple cart. That's why we find ourselves in a declining uh, system that we're in. So what we desire here at Maple Avenue, just so we're clear, is to provide everyone an opportunity to be exposed to the Word of God and approach it exegetically. And, and, and what I mean by that is simply that we want the Bible to shape our world view. We don't want to bring, we don't need to bring our presuppositions to the Bible and read into the Bible what we want it to say to back our view, to back our opinion. We need to come to it and allow it to shape the way we see life. The Bible should shape the way we see, the way we interact with one another, the way we govern our homes, the way we lead our churches and the way we interact with others. That's what the Bible should do. The Apostle Paul gave a strong warning about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He was writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, as he was leading the church there in Ephesus. And we've talked about this church in Ephesus. We've talked about the culture wars that were going on. We were talking about how this church was filled with people who had at one time been engaged in idolatry and uh, sexual illicit acts and all this other stuff. And so Paul is writing to Timothy to give him a word of encouragement. And he says this in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say with their itching ears, 
want to hear. So what we're encountering in our culture, in our churches, in our country today is nothing new. Nothing new at all. Listen, God is not surprised at all that this is where we are. Paul addresses this in the New Testament, and it's even found in the Old Testament in many places. But the place we're going to focus this morning reminds us, uh, is a reminder to us that it's an urgent call to remain pure by remaining in God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Psalms. Caitlin had us there earlier this morning. We're going back there. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. That's what I want to share with you this morning. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's going to guide our, our study this morning. So Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9, the psalmist wrote this. How can a young person... Stay on the path of purity. I think that is just an outstanding question. I really do. How can a young person, I would say, how can any person stay on the path of purity? Young, old, male, female, doesn't matter. How can a person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. A very simple passage, but man, it's jam-packed full of life application for us. So the dominant thought of this passage, what this passage is really getting across to us, is simply the question that the psalmist poses. And the question is this, how can we stay on the path of purity? How do you do that in your life day in and day out? How do I do that? How do we do that as a church? How do, we, how do we make that happen as we get up and live and breathe and go about our business each and every day? That's what we're going to talk about. And David gives us the answers right here in this passage. So let's dive into what these answers have to say for us today, what they meant for the people of David's time, what they mean for us today. How can we stay on the path of purity? First, we must live according to God's word. We must live according to God's Word. So living according to God's Word means that I must apply God's Word to my life. I must apply it to my life. It really does no good to know all the facts of the Bible if I don't apply the Bible facts to my life. So living God's Word is applying God's Word to our life. Applying the Bible is the, is the duty of each and every person who calls himself a Christ follower. And if we don't apply it, the Bible comes nothing more than just a normal old book of impractical collections of old manuscripts. That's all it is if we don't apply it. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.9, he said this, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, he says, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Listen, if you, are, if you don't experience the peace of God in your life, and I'm not saying that life's not going to be topsy-turvy. I'm not going to say we're not going to have good days and bad days. I'm not saying that. But if you don't experience the peace of God, it could be that you're not drawing near to God if you're not experiencing his peace. Because that's what he promises us. When we put his word into practice, the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself will be with us, no matter what circumstances we're going to through. The first step toward applying God's word in our lives is reading it. We must read it. I mean, you can't loophole that. You have to be engaged in reading the word of God. Our goal in reading is to get to know God 
It's to get to know God's ways. It's to get to know his understanding and his purpose for this world and for us individually. So when you sit down to read the Bible, that's the purpose of it. It's not just to check it off. Oh, I got three chapters read today. Aren't I great? You know, I read one in Genesis, one in the New Testament, one in the Psalms. Oh, and I even snuck in a proverb, so I'm good. I read four chapters just today. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to get to know God. It's to learn his ways. It's to understand his purpose for us in this world and for us individually. I want you to walk out with at least that today. That's the purpose of reading God's Word. And so if you take nothing else with you today, take that. It's not just reading to read. It's to know Him. It's how He has uh, revealed Himself to us. And so in reading the Bible, we learn about God's interactions with humanity throughout history. We learn about His plan of redemption. We learn about his promises. We learn about his character. We see that the Christian life, uh, what it looks like day in and day out. The knowledge of God we glean from Scripture serves as an invaluable foundation for applying the biblical truths to our lives. In short, this means that we live the way the Bible tells us to live. And if you're like me, sometimes that can be hard. Because sometimes I just want to live the way I want to live. I don't know if any of you struggle with that. But what we have to do is die to self and live according to the way the Bible tells us to live day in and day out, each and every day. That's how we apply God's Word to our life. The degree to which we study, memorize, even meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. James chapter 1, verse 22. I love James. He's just so in your face, direct. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but do you find yourself ever just listening to the word? Do you find yourself ever just reading words on a page? I'm sure some of us do. James goes on and he says this. He says, don't deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Apply it. That's what he's saying. I'm convinced that Nike stole their tagline from this passage right here. Just do it. Just do what it says is what James is saying. Application implies action and obedient action at that. Obedient action causes God's Word to come to life in our lives. And that's what we all strive for. That's what we need. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study, and it also serves to sharpen our discernment. You know, we have all kinds of things that go on around us, and, you know, what do I need to do in this situation or that situation? God's Word reveals to us a lot of times. We get godly counsel from godly people. But if we're not engaged in God's word, we don't know if it is godly counsel. That's why we have to be in it. And it helps us to better distinguish between good and evil and all the things that we're going through. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Folks, God's not asking us to do this on our own power. He's not. We're not alone in trying to understand and even trying to apply his word to our life. We have a helper who journeys through life with us. 
God has filled us with his Holy Spirit. Just listen to the promise of Jesus in John 14, 16 through 17. This is what Jesus said. He said, and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate, someone to come along and help, an advocate to help you and be with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither, it, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. When you come into that saving relationship with Jesus Christ, when you, when you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, when you surrender your life to his, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our heart. And because of that, we have God himself living within us, helping us through whatever it is. And God wants to reveal himself to us through his word, and he wants us to apply his word, his teachings, to our lives. Let's not be a people who just show up, crack open the Bible on Sunday, read it as we all read together, and then put it away the rest of the week. Let's not be a people who open the Bible Monday through Saturday, or or Sunday through Sunday, I should say, and, and read it, but we don't apply it. Let's be a people who actually put God's Word into practice. It changes everything. It it really does. It takes a foul mouth and makes it clean. It takes a a disturbed mind and can, can help set it on the right course. Use God's Word to shape your life. Apply it to your life. So the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit of God leads us and guides us into all truth, and the truth is His Word. And for this reason, Paul instructs believers to walk by the Spirit. He's a very present help. So cry out to the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to help you to learn to apply God's Word. As you're trying this out on your own, just just ask Him, hey, guide me through this, God. Help me. I read your Word. I want it. Help me to apply it to myself. Therefore, let's do our part. Let's hide God's Word in our heart. And obey the Holy Spirit as he draws that word out of us. So here's my question for you. Are you, individually, are you as a person, living according to God's word? Are you truly living according to God's word? If you want to stay on that path of purity, then you must live according to God's word. How else can we stay on that path of purity? First, living according to God's word. Next, seek God with all your heart. This is so simple, right? You're sitting there going, well, this is not earth-shattering. No, but it can be life-changing if we really start to do these things. So when David says he's seeking God, he's not saying that God's lost. That's not what he's saying. They're not playing a game of hide-and-seek. No, what David is communicating to us is that we need to have the same desire that he had and that, is, and that is that we are constantly seeking God. We're constantly inquiring of God. We're constantly asking God for direction. This means we are constantly and consistently asking and seeking His will and His truth about things going on in our lives, things going on all around us. Another way to think about it is, is uh, the setting of the mind. We set our mind. Like when you set something in concrete, it's set. When that sets up and that dries, I mean, it's, it's, it's solid. And that's the way our not, minds need to be when it comes to God's Word. It needs to be a, a solid foundation in our minds. All of God's Word needs to be set there. This setting of the mind is the opposite of, of mental coasting. It's like uh, the Eastern idea of, of, uh, of, of meditation. It's an emptying out. No, we're a filling up. 
We fill up on the Holy Spirit. We fill up on the Word of God. That's what we need to do. It's not mental coasting. It's being intentional about what goes into the mind. That's what it means to seek God. It's a conscious choice to direct the heart toward God. And this is what Paul says for the church. Uh, listen, this is what he says for the church in, in, in Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. It's a conscious effort on our part. But that effort to seek God, it's a gift from him. It's something that he gives us. We just don't do it naturally. It says we are exposed to him. He, it's his gift to us. Our enemy, our enemy always places obstacles in our way of seeking God. He does not want you to seek God. He will place all kinds of obstacles. Well, what kind of obstacles will he place in my way? He'll place the obstacle of TV in your way. TV has taken so much of our study of God's word. He'll take all kinds, all forms of entertainment. Those things will get in our way. I'm not saying you can't watch TV or enjoy a movie or whatever it is, but when those things start to take the place of our time with God and being in his word, then they're not good for us. I mean, it can even be social life. If you're socializing a whole lot more than you're spending time in God's word, then that may be something you need to evaluate. God's word must take precedence over everything in our lives. It's what uh, fills us. It's what shapes us. And our enemy is going to lay all these obstacles out. Folks, we can see God all around us. Take time this week and just notice God in the heavens. Just go out and look up at the sky. At nighttime, in the daytime, it doesn't matter. If we get this snow we're supposed to have, enjoy it. Just notice that it's God in all of this. Okay? He reveals himself to us in the heavens so we can know him and we can seek him through that. He reveals himself to us in his word. Spend time with him in his word. Get in his word so that you can seek him in that. He shows himself to us in the evidence of grace in other people. So notice those sitting around you as people who extend grace or maybe people who need to have grace extended to them. But God reveals himself to us all around us. The seeking is the conscious effort to get through the natural means to God himself. To constantly set our minds toward God in all our experiences. Our, to, to, to direct our minds and hearts toward him through the means of his revelation. That's what he desires. This is what seeking God really means. And when David uses the term all our heart, he's saying with all my understanding. This morning in, in our devotions before worship, Caitlin was talking about uh, the, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And that should be the blueprint for our worship. And this is what David is echoing here. To seek God with all our heart means to search him out, to inquire of him with all of our understanding, with our very being. This is an undivided loyalty, okay? Write that down. I think that'd be a good thing just to walk out with. This is an undivided loyalty. Seeking God with all your heart is an undivided loyalty. God wants us to love him exclusively above all other things and beings. Lukewarm, half-hearted, apathetic fondness for God, it just won't do. God will not tolerate half-hearted devotion. He will not tolerate an apathetic Christian. God wants undivided loyalty to him. He wants our total devotion. That's what he desires from each and every one of us. Not, I mean, as a group, yes, but you individually, this is what he desires. 
In my opinion, many of the things wrong in our churches today and all around us is due to half-hearted devotion. It's a half-hearted devotion to marriage. It's a half-hearted devotion to family. It's a half-hearted devotion to our churches. It's a half-hearted devotion to God. And that's what's wrong with us. We need to be fully devoted to Him. Most of us can remember a time when we first fell in love. That passionate, that all-consuming, that single-minded adoration that we had toward another person. This is the kind of love God wants from us to Him. To desire Him above all things. The Bible says that King David, the man after God's own heart, had this kind of singular passion for God. Listen how David expresses his great passion and desire for God in Psalm 42. In the first two verses, he says this, as the deer pants for streams of water. Just imagine a deer out running. He's dried out, and he's panting for streams of water. David says, so my soul pants for you, my God. Does your soul pant Are you thirsting deeply for the God of heaven and earth? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when I can go and meet with God. That's what David says. Even so, we know that David did not love God perfectly. I mean, he longed for God. He was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. His ability to love God was often hindered by his human weakness, those obstacles the enemy put in his way. The sin that is prevalent in his life, just as ours is. That's why it's so important, remember, to seek God with all our heart, not just part of it. Remember what Jeremiah, the prophet, said in Jeremiah 29? He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God revealed that to Jeremiah. He wrote that. Not part of your heart, but all of your heart. So let me just ask you this simple question. Are you, every day, Seeking God with all your heart. Or is there a hint of half-hearted devotion somewhere tucked away? Are you courageous enough to seek God with all your heart, to completely die to self? And I'm not talking to people who, who don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to people who have accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But maybe you're not seeking God with all your heart. Maybe there's a hint of that half-hearted devotion. Maybe there's times where you just become apathetic. You're like, yeah, I'll just study God's Word tomorrow. I'll put it off. It's no big deal. Yeah, it is. God wants to hear from His children each and every day. All of us in here are children. Okay, We're not all parents, I understand that. But we're all children. Your parents, more than likely, unless you were raised in a childhood that was just not what I think God would want for you to have, but your parents want to hear from you. They desire that. God's our Father. We're His children. Don't have half-hearted devotion toward Him. Just ask yourself, am I seeking God with all my heart? If you want to stay on that path of purity, you must do that. How else do we need, what else do we need to do to stay on that path of purity? Well, we live according to God's word. We seek God with all our heart. Third, we keep God's commands. We have to keep God's commands. The best teacher of this is Jesus himself. He kept God's commands. On the evening before his crucifixion, Jesus Christ, uh, his crucifixion, Jesus Christ gave a, a lengthy private teaching to his disciples. 
And this discourse in the upper room may, uh, takes place right after the Lord's announcement that one of the disciples will betray him. And Judas gets up and he leaves the room, okay? As part of the instruction, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. The unmistakable meaning of this passage is that obedience to Christ's commandments is both a sign and a test of our love for him. The connection between love for Jesus and obedience to him is a recurring theme in the Apostle John's writings. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, 2 through 3. If you want to, turn over there with me. He said this. He said, this is how we know what, uh, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. If you want to know if you really love God, ask yourself, do I carry out his commands? In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. If we love the children of God, we'll keep God's commands. If we love God himself, we will keep God's commands. So what does Jesus mean when he says, keep my commands? Is Jesus referring to keeping a list of rules like the, 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 like the uh, Ten Commandments, or, or does he have something else in mind? Well, the words John uses in the original language are not merely to be understood as obeying a series of moral instructions. These commands encompass all of Jesus' words and all of his teachings, which in truth are God the Father's words. Jesus replied with this in John 14, 23. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, Jesus said. They belong to the Father who sent me. These commands involve the full scope of Christ's revelation. Listen to how Jesus describes this in John 8, 31 through 37. He said, turn over there, because that's, that's a lengthier passage. John chapter 8, verse 31. <clears throat> John 8, 31. Jesus said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied with this He said, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Every person in this room has sinned. Every person in this room is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, Jesus says. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. You're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Do you have room for God's word in your life? My prayer is that you do. Do you have room for God's word 
in your life. Only those who believe and receive the truth of who Jesus is are set free and thus hold to his teachings or his commands. Listen, this is why it's such great news when we learn that we are children of God, sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And because of that, we are royalty in the family of God. We are sons and daughters, which means we have a permanent place in the family of God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything God has done. Because of the sacrifice of Christ. He has made us that if we accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. And immediately after Jesus makes the statement, if you love me, keep my commands, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Over and over again, he reassures us that we're not in this by ourselves, but the Holy Spirit of God will be with us to help us, to guide us through this as we try and keep his commands. Thankfully, we have a model for loving Jesus and keeping his commands. The love of Jesus Christ and his life of obedience to the Father is just that example for us. Obeying Christ's commands means copying the example of Jesus. Loving Jesus is not merely a feeling. It is an active, abiding, ongoing relationship of following and obeying our loving master. John gives us this reassurance in 1, uh, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. I want to encourage you this week, this re week, read 1 John. Just, just, you know, if you don't have a devotional plan, make that your devotional plan this week. Read 1 John. Just spend time in it. And if you don't get through it all in the first, in, in a week, that's fine. As long as you're just delighting in the word of God. As long as you're getting to know God. Now, if it's because you just threw your Bible up on the shelf, no, don't do that. Get in it. Let it speak to you. So here's my question for you. Are you keeping God's commands? So how else do we stay on this path of purity? Well, we live according to God's word. Uh, we seek God with all our heart. We keep God's commands. And finally, we put God's word into our heart. Are you putting God's word in your heart? What sort of things find their way into your heart and mind? What are the kinds of things that find their way deep into your heart and mind? If you're exposing yourself to a constant barrage of ungodly words or ungodly music or images, you're not taking full responsibility for your life. Well, you're a fuddy-duddy. You're a preacher. You have to say that. No. If you're exposing yourself to those things, what you put in is what's going to come out. It's going to find its way out. So if you're exposing yourself to constant barrage of ungodly words, music, images, you're not taking full responsibility for your life. You can fill your heart and your mind with God's word, and when you do, you'll create a defense against some of the evil messages the world so frequently sends our way. Hiding God's word in our heart essentially means memorizing. It means meditating on the word of, uh, on the word of God. Meditating meaning you spend time thinking about it. You spend time mulling it over. You ask yourself, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to what's going on in my life? What's this look like in my home if I live this out? What's it look like in my workplace if I live it out? What's it look like in all my relationships? See, God uses his word, the Bible, to speak to you and to show you how you ought to live. You've been given the responsibility to guard your heart. That's your responsibility. The Holy Spirit's there to help us. But you have responsibility. This isn't a coast 
a coasting relationship. You have responsibility to guard your heart, to keep track of the things you hide inside it. So what's in there? What's in your heart this morning? I want to give you just a minute. I really do. I want to give you a physical minute to just do a cardiac inventory. What's in your heart? Take just a minute. Take a pen, piece of paper, or get on your smart device. Go to your notes section. Write down. Just take a minute. I'm going to give you 60 seconds because you might not take it any other time this week. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to just do a cardiac inventory because we all have something in our heart. Maybe all good, maybe not. So just take a minute. Write down what's in your heart. Do that inventory. Don't be lazy. So what's in your heart? Grace, maybe with a dash of anger. Hope, with a sprinkling maybe of lust. What's in there? Ugly images from TV, the movies, the web. Thoughts of purity. Are you harboring bitterness or extending mercy? Do you have greed or is there charity? Are you envious of others or do you pray God's best for everyone? If you struggle with these negative things, it could be because you have more of the world's wisdom in your heart than you do the wisdom of God. Hide God's word in your heart. God, through the psalmist, is telling us to hide his word in our hearts. So when sin comes along, we'll know how to respond. We'll know how to defend it, fight against it. The word hidden in this passage means to hide away as a great treasure. One of the ways ancients would protect possessions of precious value was to hide them away, to bury them, many times burying them where no one could find them. They had no security systems like we do today. They had no safety deposit boxes. They hid them. God is telling us to hide his word away in our hearts. His precious words should be considered a great treasure hidden away in our hearts. Our hearts are at the very center of our being, the part that cannot be seen. Our mind, intellect, emotions, our will, 
God is saying to keep these hidden, but not forgotten. Keep them hidden, but accessible. Why should we hide them? Because he knows that we are sinners, and it is our nature to sin against him. There is a, there's a reason the psalmist is hiding God's word in his heart. And it's easily seen in the Hebrew text. He knows that he's a sinner, and having the treasure of God's word hidden in a safe yet accessible place will help him fight against sin. Listen, we're all in this battle against sin. Don't kid yourself. You're in it. Ephesians 6, read it. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against a very real evil. If you're having a hard time finding God and following his commands, then hiding God's word in your heart will foster that spiritual growth that I hope you desire. It'll guard you against those things that hurt you and displease God. I love the words of the psalmist when he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May we keep our paths pure by living according to God's word, seeking God with all our heart, keeping God's commands, hiding his word in our heart. Just imagine, just imagine how your home, how your workplace, how your classroom would and could be different if you simply worked at this. So my encouragement to you is to work at this this week. Let that be your focus. Focus on God's word. Let it guide your life. Can I invite you guys to stand with me? Put your mask on and I'll pray for us. Father, we want to come to you. And first of all, we just want to say thank you for your word. Gosh, I, I just am so appreciative of how your word itself speaks into our lives. How it's so valuable and necessary for us so that we can live in a way that brings honor and glory to who you are. Be with us. Give us the strength to be the children of God you want us to be. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.